I really didn't enjoy her um, her infancy as a result. I look back on it, and so much of it was just so true. fear and second guessing and forgetting. And, yeah. and now there's mm-hmm. now there's that guilt too, because I'm like, oh my god, I'm enjoying my my second, and I'm like, this is just so beautiful and amazing. And oh my god, did I enjoy this with my did daughter? Did I miss it? Did I miss yeah. it? I'm Cynthia Overgaard, owner of Hypnobirthing of Connecticut, childbirth advocate, and postpartum support specialist. And I'm Trisha Ludwig, certified nurse midwife and international board-certified lactation consultant. And this is the Down to Birth podcast. Childbirth is something we're made to do, but how do we have our safest and most satisfying experience in today's medical culture? Let's dispel the myths and get down to birth. Today's episode was recorded on location at Hypnobirthing of Connecticut in Westport, where we brought together three women between 8 and 16 months postpartum to reflect on their experiences. You'll hear about their anxieties and how they've struggled to stay connected to the husbands they love. This episode contains sensitive content and uncensored language. Just one more thing, they never met each other until now. Like I find that as soon as I start speaking to a woman who's going through anything, postpartum wise I feel like I immediately come back to that place of what of anxiety and fear and living it and I forget that you know I have a second child now and I'm no longer going through that but I I went through it very yes very much with my first child and as soon as I start to hear other people's stories and I'm sure as soon as we start sharing it brings me right back to that place it doesn't feel like it was three years ago it feels like it was yesterday it feels like I'm still in it I remember you know um, in the first uh, life after birth session, I, I remember how I felt in that first class. And and uh, Cynthia, you made us go around and, and talk about an emotion we felt. And I immediately started crying. Yeah. And, and, you know, those things don't go away, those moments. I Even talking about it now, I know exactly how I felt. I know exactly how dark it was on the on the drive to the class. But if someone had asked me, how are you doing? I was fine. I was great. I was fine. Of course, right, but it, I, I was a brand new baby. It was mm-hmm. yes, but it was a beautiful spring day, and I all I remember is just how dark it was, and not that I was going to do anything, um, and I was just so thankful that I had that appointment to get to, um, to come to talk to these women that I had thought about that before and made it, and and but when I talk to women today about postpartum, I, I go right back there. I completely agree. I know exactly where I was. I know exactly how I felt. It doesn't leave you. It's like those Broadway shows where they suddenly, all the lights on the stage go dark and there's just a spotlight on that one person. That's what it feels like in those moments. Yes. It's like life is going along, life is going along. A woman suddenly says something that brings you back to that place and all of a sudden it's like everything stops and the light's shining on you and you're like, I remember that moment. Yeah. Because that darkness never really leaves, but you learn to sort of step out of it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Just even being in in that with that group of women and talking that day I felt better and then the last class that we had all together you asked Cynthia you asked us to think back to that first day and we had to describe to someone new in the class and I I mean immediately I just I could feel that I was so much lighter just from having those conversations but you know again it seems weird to just go and have a little play date with (laughs) with three-week-old babies but it's so important it's not about the babies it's about the moms and and talking and 
What a triumph so, getting here, right? Yeah. I felt that way. Not yeah. just here, but this was great because this was a place that I knew that once I got there, things would would be better in some way because there was like a tribe, right? Yeah. But going anywhere with a baby, a newborn, an infant was like, for me, one of the most frightening things. And I talk about this a lot with, with new moms, which is for me, for some reason, transportation or just out of the house, which I think a lot of women, mm-hmm. when you're dealing with any kind of like fear or anxiety, is a really hard thing to get through. And for me, I would create like routines in my head that I would go through, even if it didn't actually make a difference to the baby or the baby's temperament, like my daughter's temperament, I would do these things like a checklist, almost like an OCD checklist of like, if I do this and then I do that and then I do this, and if anybody was helping me and they didn't do that one thing, I would like freak out. And I was convinced that now I wouldn't be able to drive with her because she would panic and have a meltdown and it would be because they didn't put her in the pink sweater that she was more comfortable in the car seat because that pink sweater is light enough that she wouldn't overheat and then she wouldn't start crying and then if she exactly. did for some reason pee through things it was just like those those things that I'm you, still doing this you okay? <laughs> I'm sorry my daughter's six months and I'm still doing this yeah, six months, yeah. that's okay yeah. that's okay I mean I remember the do you any routines I'm bringing up transportation that's one of well, them but mine are more so with naps Mm-hmm. So she's, I have her sleeping in a pack and play right now because she's rolling a lot and she was hitting the crib railings and they tell you not to use bumpers and she was waking up every hour. So she's in a pack and play and she's crashing into the mesh. So she's fine. She doesn't yeah. wake up and she's actually sleeping through the night. Um, but if she's, if she naps in her car seat and she's uncomfortable, she will have a really bad rest of the day and it will interrupt every other nap. So depending on who's with her that day, and if I'm not with her, I'm really anal about how she sleeps mm-hmm. and who's letting her nap and who's taking her where and what she's wearing. Because if she gets disrupted in any way, she's not going to have a good nap later in the day. And she's going to be up late or trying to go to bed at 5 o'clock, and it just kind of disrupts everything. So I don't know. if It's like not my husband only, but, you know, if my mom has her or – my husband has her and he's like, oh yeah, we're just gonna go to BJ's or we're gonna go to Costco. And I'm like, okay, but what time are you going? What is she wearing? How, how long was she sleeping? If she's napping and she falls asleep in the car, you have to stay in the driveway and wait till her nap is over because if you take her out of the car while she's still napping and she wakes up and she's only been asleep for 10 minutes, she's gonna think she had a nap, yes. even though she didn't have a nap. <laughs> and she's gonna be like wide awake and totally wired by the end of the day. So the, so. so the real issue here is not so much the baby's routine, but what does that change in routine do? What does that mean for you? as the mom it's like right. the, we we want to we feel like we have to manage all of these things so that we really are, can manage ourselves because this there's so many unknowns when you bring a baby into your life right it's all of a sudden like no everything playbook. is unknown no mm-hmm. guide and so yeah. anything that we can try to um, put into a routine that makes it predictable for us now we feel a little bit safer I think a lot of it had to do with sleep and I don't know if, if oh yes I, I, I it's yep. this weird thing that now having a second child I have, I think, somewhat tried to come to terms with, which is there's this abundance of education out there for women around sleep for your child, sleep for your baby, and how important sleep is, and how sleep begets sleep, and how there are wake windows, and there are wake times, and there are diff- there's baby It's not baby logical. Bed. It's not logical. It's anxiety-inducing. It, it, mm-hmm. is, it, it is meant, I know that the intention is to help us because a, a well-rested baby is a quote-unquote happy baby. 
Well, it didn't work for me, and it actually made things so much worse because of exactly what you just said, which was my obsession with routine as it related to rest, 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 and schedule, schedule, schedule. And I would become incredibly resentful at my husband, for instance, who was so casual because he could afford to be, because he wasn't the one getting up nursing all through the night when the baby wasn't, quote unquote, well rested and therefore not sleeping well, when in fact it probably didn't have a lot to do with that and she was just a baby and babies do these things because they're here to drive us nuts and to love <laughs> us, but you know. Um, and I would resent him so much because he would literally just come downstairs on a Sunday and be like, you know what, I'm gonna run to like the store. Um, you, you want me to take the baby with me? And I would literally think to myself, wait, what? I, it would take me like three days to plan. <laughs> I would have to know in advance that I was leaving the house at a certain time and I would plan it around naps and food and nursing and maybe she's getting a sniffle, maybe not, maybe she just sneezed because I sprayed too much perfume. Is she allergic to perfume? Oh my God, is she? Maybe, maybe she was allergic to the food that I fed her. Did this somebody write exactly down what I fed her? what happens. And oh my God. And yeah. then he's, as I'm going through this, he's already got her in the car seat and they're like practically out mm -hmm. the driveway and I'm panicked. And, and I'm she's still, happy. And she's happy. And I'm still writing things down. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Like and what? they don't. If he doesn't, I'm like, did you write that down? What like time what? She just what had time did they wake? What are you writing yeah. down? How many ounces did she take? Did you write that down? Mm -hmm. Did she poop today? Did you and in what kind of bottle? <laughs> yeah. Did she take the new bottle that's squishy? Yeah. Did yeah. she yeah. hold it herself what today? What outfit was she wearing? Her to, yes. Is she, was she sure warm enough? Exactly did you have the hat on her when you went to BJ's today? Yeah. I'm still doing that. Yeah. What's that doing for you? Um, It is... I guess just making me know what she's doing. Have you thought about you recently? Yes. Okay. I have. Because yeah. w what that would what do to me question. is I yes. would not even be thinking about me if I had to think about all of I that. Guess, <laughs> I guess it could stem from guilt somehow because maybe doing these things makes us feel like we're good moms and we're paying attention to what is happening in our home and we're we want to be that needs. person who's yeah tracking their needs and making sure they're okay. And if they did get sick, let's just say, and they got this fever, or they were, something happened, I can at least say, okay, well, I was trying. I was doing everything I was supposed to do. I was feeding her. I was making sure she was napping and making sure she was warm. It's why you feel the need to, to track. track everything because yeah. this, is a, this is something that we want to be good at. We chose to have babies. We want to be good moms. And nobody's teaching us how to do it. So it's this process of learning. And we think, you know, we're going to learn to be better if we track all the things. And we don't want to be held responsible mm -hmm. for our kid getting whatever it is they're going to get, the RSV. Right. The, the more effort, the, the better the output. But right. that doesn't—that's not a correlation, it's not. right? Not and, it's and realizing so that is mm -hmm. hard. And we put so much pressure on ourselves, and we make ourselves crazy, and then we feel guilty. See, yeah. we start tracking things to lessen the anxiety, and then when we keep tracking, we realize it's—it's it's creating the anxiety. It. And I did that. I don't do it. I, I, so less tracking. Well, <laughs> it's, you have to know yourself. I yes, have, you have to know yourself. You will get me because we're so similar in like the business sense, but I will confess to you, and I don't know if a soul knows this, and now everyone can know this. There was a day where I started in an Excel spreadsheet with five-minute segments tracking my son's naps. Mm -hmm. And it, thank God, it, I swear segments. to God, I'm not kidding you. And about maybe four days in, I just said to myself, what am I doing? And I'm, by the way, I'm not even parenting right now. I'm maintaining a spreadsheet what is happening and i realized that's what this you balance. knew yeah. you were it's good at that right. and it's what you knew right okay confession <sighs> go ahead i set a timer to wake windows with my daughter a timer on my phone so what do you mean i to mean like as soon as if she was on a if she was at an age that the nap gods told me online on the google that she should be a she should her average wake window should be three hours 
I set a timer on my phone for two hours and 40 minutes that would go off. And I swear to God, it didn't matter what we were doing, who was there, that timer would go off and I'd be like, okay, it's time for a nap. It mm-hmm. didn't, she could be eating. She could be doing anything. And people would be like, wait, oh, okay. <laughs> Meaning like it's time for the nap like shortly, yeah. yes. soon, right? And I was like, no, no, right now. We and I would literally take her because I knew that now I had 19 minutes because you just made me talk. Um, 19 minutes to get her upstairs, get her changed, start her ridiculously long nap routine, which by the way, with a second, it doesn't even exist. Um, and he's better off for it, but that's a whole nother story. Uh, I would take her upstairs and I, because I knew that I needed a minimum of 15 minutes to get her to sleep. And it didn't matter if she was not showing any signs at all of exhaustion. She was going to sleep. Even if it took me longer to get her to sleep, then she would sleep. And it just was the thing that for some reason I thought was grounding me, but was not. I set a timer. I set a timer. I didn't pay attention to my kids' cues, even though they tell you, pay attention to their cues. That's bullshit. Nobody's doing that. Not with your first, not when you're that in that moment. When you're in that space, you're looking for any guidance because because we don't know we don't know and we don't know and especially I think that like when you're maybe it's a life stage thing too like for me I had I had a career and a business and I knew for the most part that like if I followed certain steps it would lead to certain outcomes yes measurable results all of these things that with a kid quantifiable logical yes Yes. and there is nothing less than that and we think their very brain development depends on it Mm-hmm. That Everything. was another one. Like oh, yeah. I, totally. I'm one yes. of those, and I've met a bunch. It's like, but their brain development, but they have to sleep. Mm-hmm. For their brain development, you feel like everything is at oh, and, stake. Oh, and the type of They'll sleep. They'll sleep, yeah. don't worry. Mm-hmm. They'll right. sleep enough oh. for their brain development. They'll yeah. sleep. Right. But by the time you talk to any mom who's on her third, fourth, fifth, then you're... none of that is happening. Yes, that's correct. None <laughs> of that is happening. And their <laughs> yeah, kids are usually... I'm on my third. third. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yes. And, and I have, final, and just I to clarify. Three. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I have three, and there was not one bit of schedule tracking. None of that. And, and he was, was your easiest. Far my the easiest. Right. Now, some of that may be temperament. I do believe that mm-hmm. babies are born with certain temperaments. This so there's this balance. Matter. We have to find that. We have to find that balance between feeling like we have to control every detail, which then makes us feel really. The 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 downside of that is that we suffer from the guilt when we don't stay on that pattern or it fails us. You know, I'm yeah. doing all these things right, but I'm not getting the results I want. And then we start to feel bad about ourselves and feel like guilty that you're not, you you must be missing something, you're not doing it right. And trying to balance that with taking good enough care of yourself so that you you do have enough of a routine, that you do get the sleep that you need so that you can be a healthy, healthy functioning person, especially if you have to go back to work. And then incorporating all that with how it plays into our relationship. <laughs> and what, what do these feelings yeah. bring up about... What relationship? What, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you have time? I mean, that's we, how I felt sometimes. And, and it's the person I love most, arguably, in the world. And, and I felt... Theoretically. Yeah. Theoretically. <laughs> right. We I, could say that. Yes. But, it, I mean, how... I, I, I felt bad for him sometimes. But actually, when we talked about having a third... One of the reasons I said I was worried about it was I I said, I don't want to have to find my way back to you again. And I don't mean that I fell out of love with him. Mm-hmm. I don't feel that I... How did he respond to that? He he he, he understood. I, I, he understood because there's just a time when it's not it's not about him right Right. and he has and I was lucky because he was a partner who understood and listened and and kept trying to be a part and bond but um you know a part of what was going on not apart from us but I I remember 
thinking, I don't want to, it was so much work to find my way back to you. And we were in a great spot where we were us again and we were intimate again and we were all those things. And I didn't want to have to go back to the part again that, you know, right after the baby when it's like, no one touch me. No, I, no touchy. Yeah. Enough touching. <laughs> Enough touching. I, I'm totally. naked all day. I'm not getting <laughs> naked again. Yeah. Like, you know, and it's like, and to get naked, you got to take 85 pieces of clothing off and it all has stains on it. Like it was just, there's not, there's, what of this is intimate, you know, but it, that's how I felt. And so when we, when we found out we were pregnant with our third, we were lucky that it was easy that time. And but I was worried. I was really worried about that. Because um, what would he want to find his way back to me? Right? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm but not. Are you still interested in this? Yes. And it's it's work. It is work. I mean, we had our second eight months ago. And I've told my husband. And he knew. I mean, when, when we met, I said that I would love to have three, maybe more kids. That changed after my first. But now after having my second, we had the same conversation. And I said to him, and at least you had the confidence to say, I, I'm worried about how long it will take, for instance, to find my way back to you. My concern is, I don't know that I'll find my way back to you. Now, intellectually, I, pro- I know that I would, mm-hmm. but emotionally, I don't. Maybe it's too fresh. But I know, especially after what it was like with the first and then with the second. And I said to him, as much as I would love many more children, I there's no way. I don't have the confidence at this point that we would be able to get back to that special place. I mean, we're not even fully there now, eight months out. We're mm-hmm. on the journey. Yeah. But um, that destination still feels far a ways out, and yep. it takes quite a bit of time. And it is a new reality, but I, I, I'm – I'm too worried for us, and and quite frankly, I feel like that also is like the guilt that weighs on you as a mom, which is like, yes, I love my husband, and I'm in love with him, and I want it for us, but I also want it for our kids. And I don't want, as it is, like with my daughter, seeing it, the, I don't want to call it the rift, but like what happened to my husband and I after my second, and just knowing the that the like- The dynamic changes. The dynamic yes. changes. Right. Like, I don't want them to be privy to that. You know, I, I almost feel like that in and of itself is me being a bad mom. Like the fact that they don't see me loving on my husband every second of the day, and instead they just hear me being like, why didn't you do this? Or why didn't you do that right? You know, because mm-hmm. they just can't do anything right <laughs> in those months that follow. And, um, or years. And it's, or, or years, or yeah. <laughs> Um, that's a hard place to be in, and I, I don't want her to see that. I just want her to see – I want him to see also. I want my children to see happy, healthy family dynamic and not at the cost of mommy and daddy wanting to have another kid, so you're going to have to deal with the dynamic shift that happens. And I wonder how many moms are actually having that third or fourth kid because they don't know how to find their way back, and they're not mm-hmm. willing to look at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And having the kid is the way – to oh, stay connected. Oh, oh a kid is not a solution is, right? to any relationship. No, of course, it's, of course, it's not. But as as a mother, oh, yeah. as a woman, yes, as a, yes, like, that totally. is such an easy way to stay connected to something, right. to stay connected. But it's like it, it's. Um, I don't think that all women are thinking the way you think about subsequent children, and how how do I how do I make sure that I get back with you before I take that next step? Yeah. But I think it depends on the sort of the appetite that your partner has for that too, right? Like, yeah. even though, again, my husband was saying something, when I said to him, I don't think we could do this because he would love to have another kid. He would have another child today. He'd have a fourth if I were willing to go that far with it. 
Um, but I say to him all the time, you know, you say that because you love children and you want to expand our family. But remember these moments. And I try to actually bring him back to it, which really annoys the crap out of him when we're having that moment. Like we'll be in a moment where I'll say to him, I'm exhausted. Just so you know, you're on night shift because I was on it the last three nights and I need you on it tonight. And he'll argue with me about something. He was working. He was doing whatever. And I'll say, OK, just stop because this is just so you know why. And he'll be like, why what? Why, why I have to get up tonight? I'm like, no, no, why I don't want to have a third. It's not that I don't love our children, but these are the moments that I don't want to keep having with you because they really chip away at everything. I, I just wanted to add, I think it's fascinating that we can sit here and have this conversation because if I looked at my parents and then that whole generation, they would never be having this conversation and taking any kind of responsibility for what went on. For example, my parents are divorced. They had two kids. I don't know what went on there. It was not great. But the fact that we can talk about this and actually reflect and, and have and we have this knowledge as to what makes a relationship work and that having more children is not the answer to fixing a relationship is is amazing. I don't know, maybe we've come a long way, well, but this is we have to remember what the goal is, mm -hmm. right? Like arguably you are married to your spouse and without children in it longer than you are with children in it, right? That's the goal. Right. And and so, you know, my husband and I, we go away at least once a year, just the two of us, and we're, we're adamant about date nights because it's like, you're the person I'm spending my life with, mm -hmm. not my children, right? Like, they need to go spend their life however they want. But I think that's hard sometimes. We're trying to live our life for our children, but no, we're living our life for us and with the person we love more than anyone else. And that that gets lost in those first, Women's first moments yeah. and Mothers months. get a lot of conflicting information about that. I mean, we get this message that our children are first. Mm -hmm. Prioritize the children. Correct. Everything is about the children. But No, my mother-in-law would not agree with what I just said, for sure. And I'm sure my mother would that But a relationship therapist would. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> they would absolutely say, yes. you put that, you put self first, your marriage second and your children are third or maybe you know it could be even fourth down the line but if you don't put that first the way you're the way you're speaking then you're not serving your children well because you're not showing them what a healthy relationship looks like talk about what unconditional love really means yeah. so it's so hard for us to reconcile like oh let me quote prioritize my marriage whatever that means because i have this child to feed and take care of and nurture and hold right, right now so but that's, that's what I mean. Exactly why it's so difficult. Yes, and why I say I have to like... find my way back to you because those first three months, it is not. It is about the baby. 100%. I mean, right? They can't. 100%. They can't. They can't eat. They can't. They, nothing you, you they can't can do on their you own. You can't go twenty minutes without tending to their needs. Yes, yeah. correct. Correct. I mean, you can't go to the bathroom. Right. You, you take can't them with you. Take half a the shower. Time. Because, <laughs> you know? We talk about how that translates to the partner because even with an incredibly supportive partner who has been through it. Mm -hmm. Like, this is not their first time yep. at the rodeo. They've seen it before. They know the calls. They know the requests. They know the needs. I went through this with my husband. Like, he knew it. We prepped for it. We talked about it. And yet still, the second one came along. And in due time, you Same. know, there was, the the, there was the metaphorical, like, tapping of the foot. Yep. Like, yep. what's going on? Like, where? Where'd my bride go? Exactly. Yes. Like, hey, like, I would love some time tonight. And me turning around like a dragon and being like, well, so would fucking I. 
Yes. <laughs> so would I. I love time tonight, too. That's right. You know what sounds nice? A bath. Why don't you draw me one? I know we don't have a tub, but if we did, you should draw me one. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> How about a meal? How about a meal where I'm not nursing a child, tending to a toddler, and don't have to scarf it down and just, like, swallow it without eating it? And the resentment would just fester and fester and fester. And it's just unbelievable because that's what the second. That's when he already knows what well, it's going to be like. The best part, <laughs> you know, at my six-week OBG follow-up, I come home and he's like, okay, so you're good now, right? Oh, oh this always no. comes yes. up. And I'm always. like, <laughs> the magical six it's weeks. really <laughs> not that, that concrete. Like, no, I'm not good. Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> like, I went to physical therapy after this. I'm not good. Right. <laughs> it yeah. was not mm-hmm. six weeks later that we were back at it. Sorry. God, and they've been ticking the days to get to that six week right. mark. Uh-huh. And it's just like, so magically on the six week mark, you're suddenly supposed so to I, be physically, emotionally. Mentally ready. Oh, I'm right. a bad and wife. I, I, hope that, uh, <laughs> I, I scheduled it at eight weeks and convinced everyone it was only six weeks. I did this with my I second. definitely Good said tactic. that my doctor may have thought I should wait a couple more weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean, it was true with the first one. Maybe not so much with the other ones, but I just, I wasn't there mentally. Can I just ask, where did the six week thing come from? Because I'm trying to wrap my brain around that. You're not healed after six weeks. It has nothing to do with your sex life and right. your readiness to have sex. It mm-hmm. has everything to do with the way that the, the, the process of the uterus the medical term is involution or involuting or healing or the bleeding typically is over by six weeks and the cervix is closed and the uterus has, you know, contracted back to its um, semi-pre-pregnant size. And the stitches are gone. No, it has nothing to do with that. Okay. It has nothing to it do should. with that. So it should. Stitches in that area should matter. Typically, yes. Typically, yes, they are gone. By yes. Now. But it's not based on that. It right. really is based on when the OB <sighs> wants to evaluate the healing of your uterus. Therefore, if you're not bleeding anymore, you are safe to have sex because you're not at risk of infection. It just it has right. nothing to, to do right. with anything it else. Just, and it should. Men started this. Mm-hmm. Of course. It has they to be. Did. Oh, it's, how did that's, it what, I, that's what I meant about they're counting down the days to get to the six-week mark. They're and like, you're they've good. Been waiting, waiting. You're good. Waiting. You're fine. But they can't. How? I mean, it's so dry. No. Like, <laughs> yes. it's not. It's, it's and exactly. that's not changing no. any time when Right. I'm always saying. Their time is impeccable. It is impeccable. Was at the six week mark, and I'm like, no, I don't want to have sex with you right now. Change my Down to Birth is sponsored by Postpartum Soothe. Recovering from a vaginal birth takes many women by surprise. Everyday activities like sitting, walking, and going to the bathroom can be uncomfortable. And Postpartum Soothe is just the remedy to support your healing and relieve discomfort. Postpartum Soothe is a 100% organic herbal blend that's applied to maternity pads in the days immediately following your birth giving you all the benefits of a sitz bath 24-7. That's because herbs like comfrey leaf, uva ursi, and witch hazel are known for their antimicrobial and anti-inflammatory properties. Postpartum Soothe can be prepared anytime during the third trimester, and it makes a beautiful baby gift. It's a must for any woman seeking a faster, easier recovery from a vaginal birth. Visit postpartumsoothe.com. That's postpartumsoothe, S-O-O-T-H-E.com and use promo code down to birth. Intrusive thoughts. Mm-hmm. What were your craziest, the moments you're just like, I'm going crazy, or no one else sees what I see and ever. Throwing the baby over the banister. I thought I was gonna trip and throw and the baby over the banister. Slip out of your hands, fall yes. over the banister. There, even if I tripped, wouldn't be anywhere near the banister, but I would walk as far away from the banister because I just thought I was gonna trip and just mm-hmm. throw 
So, and then I was worried other people would. So then mm -hmm. it was just, yep, the baby should be in the bassinet next to us because no one can just walk around with the baby. I mean, anything and it, could happen if you're walking with the baby. Yes. Just fall out of my arms. Yes. Trip, just yeah. like, ah. But that's not, no, we are able to hold the baby right. and walk at the same right. time. Or just, I don't know, being in the car and not buckling her in all the way. Like, mm -hmm. I, of course I buckled my child in, but thinking that there are people who would just not do it. I and read something about this. That would like happen a lot. A very common thing where you actually think about the worst thing that you could do, even though you know you wouldn't do it, but for some reason thinking about it like, uh, but like people somehow makes yeah. you feel more secure because you're not doing it. It's like a it's thing. A and I think thing it's a protective thing way. and we all do it and it's like, okay, well, I'm, I buckle her and I would never not buckle my kid in. But like, right. it's a, it is a thing. And I. Well, or we've thought come of on. the worst case You've definitely gotten to a destination yeah. and so, you were like, yeah, I didn't buckle the kid. <laughs> it's happened. Has it happened to you yet? No, oh, yet. it's going to. It's going to. <laughs> okay. You're going to. So about maybe a week after I came home from the hospital, which the first night home was also another fun one that I'll get to, but about a week in, I it was the middle of the night, or what I deemed as the middle of the night, and I legitimately Googled, and I'll never forget this moment, how long can you stay awake, how long can you go without sleeping, basically, or how long can you stay awake until you die? But it wasn't... Like it, it wasn't a joke to me. Like I, I, I say this, it now, and yeah, I'm like, this is crazy. This might really happen. But I remember just thinking very matter of factly, like, I'm not gonna sleep because for me, with my daughter, I was convinced that if I slept, she would just die in her sleep. I was just convinced that she just would stop breathing, and I had no reason to think that, but I was convinced, and so I literally never slept from the minute I birthed her for days. And I just remember Googling it and thinking to myself, how long can I do this for her? How long can I just stay alive so that she can stay alive? And then what if, what happens if I do die? Because who's going to watch her while she sleeps? Ow. I did the same thing Yeah, for the most part. I, I did the same thing. I actually, I'm using an owl at monitor. Mm -hmm. we, Tell me about that. What is the it's the um it's, a, it's not FDA approved. It's a sock that goes on the foot and it measures um, oxygen saturation and blood and heart rate. How do you see the results of what's on the monitor? Do you have so to be awake a, and looking at it? Or there's do you a get dock. There's a dock, and it if it's it stays green at night, meaning she's breathing, which she's healthy. Like there should be no reason she should stop. But you know, if something were to happen, it would start beeping and alerting red. Well, I, I'm I'd love to ask you this question because mm -hmm. you are talking about this device, and you're also the woman who commented earlier about keeping. My anxiety would probably be skyrocketing what would it look like how would it manifest I don't know what do you think I would just I would always be super anxious I don't know what that would look like that's a really good question for me it's if you at least stock mm -hmm. let's say like the naps and the outfit and the hat what about that those? I could do that I think the logging I think I could stop for me my, I was so sleep deprived that using the sock would at least it at least I, I can sleep I'm not saying that that's gonna save her life for me it was It'll give me an opportunity to help her if something were to happen. I get happen. it. Right. I totally that, for get me, it. That's what I'm. You can relax. You can relax. It's, it's, like, a, it's like a smoke alarm in yeah. your house. Yeah. Like it allows yes. me to close and my I eyes and not worry about. And I only use it at night. About... I don't use it for naps. Let me share but... what I'm thinking while you say this. These are. This is my sincere thought. I'm so grateful that didn't exist 14 years ago when I had my first. I'm so grateful because I would have bought it. I know myself. I have a propensity toward anxiety. It's all a function of how bonded we are. That's the good side of all this. Wait, but you're suffering as a result. I would have been. I would have been that woman, and it would have been hard. And sometimes we're forced to trust, and it's so uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I'll share. I'll share a story of my own. 
when my son was several months old. I had a friend um, who made plans with me to go to the outlets, like an hour and 15 minutes away from where we live. And it was like this big, exciting, special day. It was going to be a Saturday. I was finally going out with a friend. We were going to go out to a nice lunch. It was going to be my first day where I was just going out for like a girl's day out shopping. And I was looking forward to it for a month or two. And my husband was going to have the baby. He's perfectly attentive. His parents live 20 minutes away. And he was going to visit them with the baby. I went in the car, started the car ride with her, really had a happy car ride, really enjoyed speaking with her, arrived, took out my iPhone or whatever phone I had at the time. I texted him like, hey, like, how are things? Didn't hear back from him. And then my mind went crazy. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my God, where is he? Like, I did he go to his parents? Did something happen? Why didn't he get there? I tried reaching his parents, didn't reach them. I just was forced to go through some kind of learning experience that day. It was horrible and it was hell, and I'll never forget this. I, I ruined my whole day. Mm-hmm. And I also had the burden of trying to pretend to my friend I was okay. What would happen for you if you couldn't do any of those things anymore? And it was just one of those moments, and this comes with parenting, and this never goes away. It doesn't matter if we're 100 and they're 70, this doesn't go away. You just are forced to trust. I think part of it is what we're, what we're reading and what we're seeing, right? And the guilt that we would feel if we didn't follow mm-hmm. every single recommendation, cross every T, dot every I, because God forbid we one time missed it and something happens and then we have to live with the consequences of that. And so it's, it is, I think, a function of guilt. I mean, it's, um, so it's learning to sift through that information. Now we, Mm -hmm. as the mothers are responsible for having the ability and the knowledge and the capacity to sift through that information and know that, you know, um, not every child is at the same risk of SIDS or, um, you know, not every household is at the same risk of some of the things that we're afraid of happening. And our job as parents, and we we have to start to learn this when they're really little, and it's really, really, really hard, but our job as parents is to learn this trust so that we can send them out into the world and not have to stay up at night worrying about, because there will come a day, and it's not that far away, at least for me, my daughter's almost 15, where she's three years away from being out of my sight. Mm. And I have to have that trust in her. And she in has the to world, have the confidence. In her, yeah. She has to have that trust in herself. And I instill that in her by trusting her at mm. four or five years old to do the thing that I'm afraid Correct. for her to do. Yeah. I feel like in it's so hard. Ways, our generation, like you said before, um, our parents were, our parents were in some ways, we'll call it naive to a lot of things, but really, truly, ignorance can be bliss Mm -hmm. and I feel like what has happened is parenting has gone from being a culture of I don't know do your best or do what feels right right like I like a lot of parents I feel like like the boomer generation a lot of moms will constantly give me tips and be like you're the mom like what you know trust your instincts trust your instincts right because a they didn't have anything else to go to but now there's this culture of fear I don't feel that parenting is now a culture of information I don't feel that well, I feel I, that I it's culture. I think it was information, but you were getting they at least my parent, my mother was getting information from the three great aunts, Just the two, piece, the four yeah. a- other aunts, the her mom and her sister. You know, like there was people giving her information that 
um, all around her. Now I don't have any of that around me. So then I go searching for it and I'm getting it in a different way. There's no human lens. The problem is the the type of information. It's the type of information. The information that comes from the sister, the aunt, the grandmother is the, um, the safe information. It's the information that we trust. The information that we get when we Google the word of the thing that we're worried about is the information that's dangerous and creates this culture of fear. Mm-hmm. And that's why you say, you know, you don't feel like it's about information. It's about, it is fear because we have this influx of information that we don't know how to filter. And a lot of it's not correct or it's Applicable. misplaced right. or yeah. it's... right. And they're ruining it. I, I mm-hmm. have to say that. And I, I was very resentful after my daughter. And the, I made a promise to myself when I became pregnant with my second that I would not do those things. And, and I really have been pretty good about it. And we've dealt with a lot of other things with my son that we didn't have to deal with with my daughter. Like he's had some health things go on. Thankfully, nothing crazy. But I just keep t- reminding myself what happened to me in those moments when I went searching for help. Even the, the moms, the, mm-hmm. the other generation of parents, of moms who keep saying, like, trust your instinct, I, I find myself being angry with them and resentful. And if I really dig deep and try to unpack it, it's because I am jealous. You're it's like, you don't know what it's like for us. I am jealous. Yeah, yes. they didn't, you had they it so didn't much have easier. to deal with all of this influx of information right. all the time. Yeah, and they also had people around them, I, th- I think. So part you they brought did. up, Real like, okay, my mom, community. you know, we brought up, like, the ants and the the great aunts that were around and probably cooking in my yes. grandparents' mm-hmm. generation. And we were learning by you example. Were, yes, and you were yes. with people. I think I look back at my first three months and I was alone for a lot yes. of it. Isolation. Like it's really, yeah. it's really sad to think about. Yes, yes. isolation. Like my parents' generation had, you had people like cooking, like the old noni in the kitchen, probably making lasagna, like in my grandma's generation. And I feel so much compassion for women today who had their babies just after I did because of social media. I think that would oh, have yes. just done me in. I think it is such a false sense of connection. There's so many things I don't like about phones and I, I, it pains me to see little kids being holding these radiation devices and having their attention and their eyesight and, and everything that comes with it. But for a woman who's home alone, it's so much better to go through the discomfort of being alone and getting out of your house and just making some like you know a tangible friend who's there and can we just talk and connect on this you know we lower our standards and that's okay let's just connect with another person but social media eats up time and gives you this false sense of connection and then at the end we can feel so empty and isolated what do you think about that i think and i also think it's kind of taking away everyone's confidence in a way i mean because it triggers comparison right you think they're doing it Mm -hmm. oh they look like they've got it they've got it down right right like my mom and my aunt were so confident in what they just the stories they tell and just how to you know oh do this or do that they're just so confident and matter of fact and it's it's almost like they're taking that away they're trying to take that away from us do they ever do they ever tell you oh i don't remember dealing with that right i hear this all the time i just put her on her stomach why why are you putting them on their back they all have these spots because you're putting them on their back yes you know (laughs) you know i don't know when we were i don't know when when we were mothers when we were first mothers Mm -hmm. we just we just did it the way it made sense to do it i don't know i don't know we didn't do it that way we didn't have these problems you were gassy (laughs) and i put you in the crib on your stomach and there were bumpers all over it and Mm -hmm. you're fine and some oh, of, some of that is definitely and a selective memory. Yes. Right. Air quotes. We yeah. did it this way, 
and everything is fine and you, everyone's fine and you fine. turned out okay that's my favorite expression <laughs> is, to laugh at and like I, the I, worst one it's like well, well i went running on the highway in the middle of the night with no reflectors on and i'm just fine <laughs> right like it, okay it cracks me up when anyone says and i turned out okay i'm like first of all how you're much not can, okay first of all right who's okay second of all how much can you lower your own standards <laughs> like right. i turned out okay so what the heck exactly. let's not aspire to anything exactly. at all yeah my mom gave me the the one piece of advice my mom gave me was she said it's okay for the baby to cry in their crib by themselves, you to shut the door and leave. My, I remember my mom saying that, and I reached that point eventually with every kid, it happened. And I remember with the third one, he was just, he was so fussy. I, I had done everything, I had done everything on the list. He napped great during the day, and it was just, it was the third day I ha- of this, I hadn't slept, and I remember he just, I, I, I was, I had some not great intrusive thoughts and I just, I took a deep breath. I just, I sat him in the crib. He continued to cry. I walked downstairs and my, and I said to my husband, I said, I don't, I don't know if I love him. I just, I had to walk away. He's, he, you do what you need to do. I, I, I can't. I, and I don't know if I love him. And I just started crying. And of course I loved him, but I just, I didn't know what else to do. And, and I was just, I, with every kid, I reached that breaking point where it was just, and it was at different times and for different things. But, and of course, then my husband went upstairs, um, put him in the car seat, took him for a drive. He went right to sleep and then transferred easily. So just now I'm just pissed at my husband right. because he made it work. <laughs> yeah, but and it, it's just like, I can't just get up in the middle of the night when he's traveling and drive the baby around in the car seat because I have two other children right. that are asleep in the house. So I was also mad because it's, that's not fair. That solution doesn't work for me. Right. Yeah, that's right. right. Easy fix. But right. I just remember my mom saying, it's okay if they safely are in the crib and cry by themselves and you walk away and shut the door. It's okay. And, um, in fact, it's probably good for them. Yes, they're 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 not made not to cry. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're made to cry. And yeah, it's part of what babies do. And maybe you know, it's we put so much pressure on ourselves. Yes, uh, I was I was going to share something, and it just made me think of this. But it, I don't know that it's an intrusive thought so much as it was one of the wilder things that happened, and it happened right when I came home. We were nodding about this before, but I, my first child, my my daughter, I came home because of. I learned this with the second. Because of the fact that I birthed her at 11 p.m. at night, I didn't get that second night in the hospital. Yeah, you learn you learn to hold real tight with the second <laughs> one until midnight comes, right? Like 12, like Half tell me when it's 12.01. Um, it was 11 o'clock at night, had the baby. So basically the next night, if you could call it that, of course she cluster fed all night long. So there was no sleep still. And this is, of course, what led to these this crazy how long can I go without dying thing. So I come home the next night, and I haven't slept now in three solid days. And the baby's hysterical, and and we can't soothe her. I can't soothe her. There's nothing that's making this child happy. And I'm losing my mind, and I'll never forget being in our our guest bathroom, our second bathroom upstairs, my my baby's bathroom, and I'm looking around it, and all the things that I had done prior to her birth, all the ridiculous things I spent time and money and energy on, and there's like – freaking bath toys and like you know the all natural organic bath gel all these things that now in hindsight I'm like Christ I'm so ill prepared for this and I just remember looking up in the mirror and my husband was like fine like he was like in the bedroom maybe listening to her cry or holding her but it was like not it was not affecting him the Mm -hmm. way it was affecting me because obviously we're built for it to affect us and I was just I was beyond myself and I remember thinking I made a huge mistake. I shouldn't have had a baby. I don't know how to do this. I'm a horrible mom already. 
oh my God, my life is over. And I kept saying in my head, my life is over, my life is over. And then I remember having this epiphany, like, wait, the hospital. The hospital knew what to do because we had these amazing nurses in, in the maternity ward. And I remember that she was losing her mind there too. And there was a woman who I called Mother Goose. She kept coming in. She was a nurse. And she knew how to soothe her. And I had this grand idea that I was going to go back, I swear, and I was going to live at the hospital <laughs> for like two or three months. And I'm th- just staring at myself in the bathroom mirror and thinking, like, I wonder if they would let me. Like, how would I get back there, though? Would they admit <laughs> me so to maternity? Because I'm, I'm can so you afford it? Can, can you I afford it? Literally asked myself, it's will insurance a day. would insurance cover it? Like, if it I went back, so but funny. if I went back as a crazy person, would they put me in psych ward or would they put me in? <laughs> but what does that mean? Because I had the same thought. Do you want to, so what does safe, that mean? Because, it's a safe space. Because there's That's community. Why. It's yes. safe. Yes. They have monitors, and yes. someone can help you. And you have yes. a role model. Yes. It's, okay. it's a village. It's we don't have yes, a village. It's, village. Right. it's right. the village that you're craving and naturally. No, I was thinking, and I say this with so much honesty because you brought up, I have all this shit essentially in my house, okay? The one or the two things I wish I had, which I didn't, were a postpartum doula and a lactation consultant not provided by the hospital because I have to say, they didn't show up. I, 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 <laughs> I had my daughter on Good Friday. And Easter Sunday, I was still in the hospital, and the lactation consultant was supposed to come in, and they didn't come. And here I am with this nipple shield that I've now put on the wrong way. Okay. <laughs> but I didn't know that because no one told me it was on the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why does this hurt? Why is she feeding? And this is, like, ripping me. Like, what is going on here? And because the little thing was not, you know, it was the plastic, whatever it is, silicone, was pressing against her nose. Like, but nobody, where's the lactation consultant? Where are they? And I, and I, I'm still mad about this. Like, I, I reflect now and I think about everything that I wish I did. And that was something that really still bothers me. It oh, still yeah. bothers me. I'm so pissed off about that. Yeah. Okay, baby, just for a second, little pivot, baby showers and baby registries. Everybody I know now who has a baby, the first baby, the very first thing I tell them is forget about your registry. Mm -hmm. Just like when you get married, people now do honeymoon funds. You need a postpartum doula fund. Mm -hmm. You need a doula fund. Just a postpartum support fund. Forget about the bassinets. Forget about the car seats. Borrow them. Buy them secondhand. Forget about clothes. Forget about the 8,000 wraps. Are some of those things helpful? Yeah. But they are all secondary to the right. support and, and if you have to if you have to just do whatever you need to do to get those funds to get that support which is such a shame by the way that this falls on us individually to actually buy the support but whatever mm-hmm. that's where we are we're the only country other than that Papua New Guinea that doesn't provide postpartum support it's it insane. is outrageous it's absolutely honestly. crazy but because that's where we are that's what everybody needs to do mm-hmm. forget about your baby registry right. just postpartum support whatever form that is baby doula mm-hmm. postpartum doula I think someone yep. to and do the laundry and yes. the dishes I wish I had that help. Just someone to even hold the baby for an yeah. hour. Just an hour so I can close my eyes. That's but I think it. the trust comes first to that yep. point, right? And I think that, like, for me with my second, and I did this proactively because, again, I didn't know with my first. With my second, as soon as I found out that I was pregnant, I started interviewing postpartum doulas. And I knew I wanted a postpartum doula and not a night nurse. And I understood the difference between them. And I already had a birth doula lined up. I knew that, for me, that vital missing link was really that support system. And mm-hmm. so I started interviewing and I found that person. It's like dating, right? Like you find that person that you click with and that you have that that immediate trust with. And I remember everyone around me, especially my family and especially the mothers, was like, 
wait, what do you mean there's going to be a woman here who we don't know with the baby? You're going to leave them with the baby all mm-hmm. night long? And I was like, well, no, not all night long. I'm going to be nursing. So, but, you know, she'll help me. And what it, What do you mean? But she's a stranger. What? That's crazy, right? So there were all those questions that came along with it, but it didn't matter because finally for the first time I did what was right for me. And I swear our outcome, maybe I just got lucky and I just didn't have anxiety with the second. But I really do think that setting up that support system in advance made all the difference because it was smooth. It wasn't reactive. I knew coming home, I actually left the hospital. It's funny because for the second one, I held on after midnight thinking I was gonna want that second night in the hospital. And I left the very next day. I couldn't wait to get home to my doula. Because yeah. <laughs> I knew how superior that one-on-one care yeah. was going to be. And I got there, and she was waiting, and everything was ready. And it was literally like just open arms, right? Like this woman who is a mother herself and who had been there and who understood, and we just had this bond. And I have and I had what I wish I had had with my first, which was, all things considered, a pretty appropriately peaceful postpartum things still went awry right like mm-hmm. things were still whatever but I was not staring in the mirror at two o'clock in the morning wondering how I could convince the people at the hospital that I was crazy enough to get back there just not crazy enough to be put in the psych ward yeah. <laughs> how can I get admitted back to maternity for two months, for two months? is there like a work study like you guys yeah. do that at college like, do so you do funny. that in the hospital oh yes. it's so funny that nice. you said that mm-hmm. you had the same thought exact it's same all thought. about exact the same safe space. trying to create that village yeah Having that safe space mm-hmm. where you have role models, you have a support system. It's what you said in our last group when you said, but who's holding the mother? And it's like these women yes. are saying, I wanted exactly. someone to hold me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why everyone we... wants to hold the baby. Who is holding the mom? Well, the fourth trimester, which no one wants to talk about. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that needs to be a bigger part of your six-week oh. post, you know, your postpartum checkup. It's just, why are we not talking about me more? Right. <laughs> and I, 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 I left thinking... Oh, that's so silly. But no, it's not. It's not no. silly. Why? I'm not being silly. I, I wanted to, to talk about that. No one asked. Trying to educate people around me the second mm-hmm. time around about like the first 40 days and learning about the fourth trimester and what people in every other culture have for all of history done for the mothers and what that looks like. And like today we call it like, or maybe in the 70s, we called it like the meal trains, right? Like, but but that doesn't really exist here today, that community that right. really does mm-hmm. come through for you. Mm-hmm. They, they come through for you. They don't come at you. And that's yeah. like the other or, thing that was really different. Or if it does, because it, it did in my world. It did in my world as a, as a midwife and midwifery school. And you know, anyone, three of three women in my class had babies in, um, in while we were in graduate school. And it was this big thing that, you know, we would have this meal service and everyone would bring, would bring a meal. And so it did exist in my world, but I actually felt like it was oh, I don't need that. Why would I need that? Like, you don't need to bring me food. I'll be, yeah. I can do this. And you felt that way before the baby? Yes. And then after you were, did you feel the same way after? I still did. Oh. And I took it upon myself. And that's a whole nother, you know, mm-hmm. story. But, um, but, but even if it did exist, how many women out there are willing to even accept that right. help? But what I think is also interesting is, yeah, it's exactly that. Because I feel like it's at odds. Again, after my first, I remember not wanting anyone around also. A lot of that. I remember yeah. I remember anger every time my husband would say, so-and-so wants to come over. They're so excited to see oh. the baby. Okay, but wait okay. a second. So how does this why exist, coexist? There are so many reasons why you might not have wanted company. Why? Is, was it germs? It was, was it innovation it, privacy? It was, it was throwing off the routine was number one, All right? right? Mm-hmm. Too much action. And mm-hmm. I'm naturally sensitive to this in our home because I feel like I want my home to be a place of like calm and peace and joy. And when there were a lot of people coming through, you know, there, 
they're it's being disruptive. normal, but it's disruptive to a newborn's environment. And I remember just thinking, like, I wanted that peace to carry through the home. And when there's people coming in and they're loud and maybe a little bit boisterous and, oh, my God, um, the baby. And they want to hold that. the baby and they want to see the baby and they are totally carrying a bajillion germs that I don't want around us. And, and by the way, then you're kind of, even though they say, don't get up, you're expected to host. And, yes. And you have to, like, and shower. host before you yes you, you have, have to, to host even before you like, get there yeah, yeah they get there yes. like you have to like pick up oh don't worry about the house you're gonna pick up your house no, exactly really, you're not like, supposed to be getting out of bed yeah but you're period. going to be doing all those things and so no matter what happens there's that pressure yeah and so i realize that it's hard because like we're sort of shouting from the rooftops like we want community we want support we want help but wait not you no, 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 that doesn't count. That's or not, not the that kind way. of help. and Not in that mm-hmm. way. And I actually think that as a mom, like as a fairly new mom, I think it's very clear, but I don't think that the rest of the world understands that or maybe the rest of our society. And that's why it's so hard to communicate that because we feel, again, guilty as women saying like, I want help, but here's exactly the kind of help I do and do not want. So mm-hmm. in my practice, and I learned this from my amazing, beautiful midwife, she would actually make us put a sign on the door of every birth that we attended and she did this she birthed my first child and she put that sign on the door and I have to say I was a little bit like uncomfortable with it but I was like of course you know go go for it and we had to put the sign on the door that said you may visit but you come in you leave the meal on the table you say hello you fold a load of laundry and you leave great and that's all awesome. it is and that's yep. how it is for the first two weeks and mm-hmm. mom strict orders mother does not get out of bed for a minimum of 10 days, up to 14, except to go to the bathroom and back in bed. I wish. Maybe one time a day you can go sit at the table and join the family for a meal. That's it. I mean, and it it made all the difference. This is also what this conversation makes me think of because sitting where we sit with this revolving door of women coming through in a postpartum support group, there are just certain things you see over and over and you learn. What's got you so emotional right now? The 10-day thing. I don't know why. Because <laughs> you wish, like, is it big wish? It took, wish me, it took me three kids before it. I actually did it. And then by my third kid, I, I finally kind of like felt enough in my power to say to my husband, this is my third child. It's probably my last. I am in this bed for two weeks. And you're going to have to figure everything else out. And it was the, it, I still look back at it. It was the most blissful two weeks of my life. I would live in those two weeks for the rest of my life if I could. We had a mom in a recent group who, um, like maybe it was week three or four of the of the program, and she was sitting there, and the week began, and she started talking about how she was sitting in on her couch holding her baby, and her husband called just to say he'd be a little late from work, and she said, I just, I just sat and cried. And she was like always cheerful. She was one of these women who always showed up really seeming just fine. And she was sharing, like, I just sat there and cried. And I was kind of asking her, what were you feeling? What was happening? And what we identified was she was just feeling sorry for herself. And I feel like this is a time where it's actually really okay. Just You just feel bad because if it were happening to anyone else you were close to or if we were really sharing with women what this experience is genuinely like, we'd feel such compassion for each other and we're just feeling it toward ourselves. Right. But what I was going to say earlier is something that was so revelatory for me um, in running these support groups is that we had a mom come to the group once maybe a couple of years ago who said oh we had the christening we had all these relatives over and we catered and whatever and that all actually went fine 
and then she got emotional and said the day was just so hard for me because people kept passing around the baby and I didn't get to hold her all day and she got really emotional saying I just wanted to hold my baby I just wanted everyone to go and I wanted to sit down and hold my baby we totally felt it now fast forward to another session I was in maybe months ahead with another group of women and one woman was sitting there talking about her difficult week and she said my husband comes home every night he walks in the door I'm sitting on the couch with the baby he walks in the door before you all nod sagely hang on because you won't know what's coming right now he walks in the door and starts cleaning the kitchen and we're like okay <laughs> yeah like, what's the problem and she take the baby so like she um, you yes, got it yes. take the baby and I'll she, clean the kitchen and that's exactly yes. what I want to do I want to do housework right. yes don't come in and tell me oh my god I've been you know what you don't appreciate it. I've been outside doing yard work I'm like I would kill <laughs> I would kill to be outside and get a whiff of fresh air without anything <laughs> right. in my arms. So yes. here's, here's the point. Here's the point. It's going to come back on you guys, though, because here is the point. How can anyone guess what a postpartum mom needs if she doesn't ask? Because with if you make that assumption that she just wants her arms free, you might be trying to, quote, help the woman who's crying because other people are holding her baby. Mm-hmm. You never know. So now it's really on you to tell people how they best can support you. Absolutely. It, it's, it's, so, we, um, it's so interesting how during pregnancy we're so tended to as pregnant women. Mm-hmm. Everybody's sort of like, oh, take care of the pregnant woman. What's the pregnant Hold woman the need? Mm-hmm. Hold the door for her. Don't let her carry that. Like everybody wants to really take care of the pregnant woman. And then everybody wants to take care of the baby. And then there's this period of time after the baby's born. You're no longer pregnant. And the baby's over here separate from you. And mom is just kind of abandoned there was some article about this i i will try to find it but there was some article and it spoke about how specifically in our country which i guess it doesn't exist in any other country we have these bumper stickers that say baby on board and how we value maybe we even talked about this in your class i don't remember but how in in our country and in our society that that is so significant that by putting that sticker on your car you put it on there because you assume that the person driving behind you will then think to themselves oh there's a baby in that car I should really I shouldn't tail them right like I should just like I don't want to crash into that car because there's a baby. baby we really put this unbelievably high value a higher value on a baby's life than we do on any other human's life um and I'm not saying that we should that we shouldn't value our children of course we should but the point here is that we're not valuing us all as humans equally the baby that it's bumper sticker should say that ba- mom and baby on board. <laughs> that bumper mm-hmm. should, sticker should just say, duh, humans on board. Right. It should <laughs> say, watch out, this say- lady hasn't slept. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, right? She might not be the best driver today. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> Move out of the Do way. Not heading for caffeine. Yes. It's so true. I mean, it's really true. And we really don't, we really don't um, acknowledge it enough within ourselves or within other women. What happens as soon as that baby is out of your belly? The focus is on the baby, and you are no longer pregnant, so the focus is no longer on you, and you are still there going Mm -hmm. through this incredibly challenging transition. Your whole identity has just shifted. You're you're physically challenged more than you ever have been before, and nobody is paying very much attention to that, except if you're bleeding. You know, Mm -hmm. you're paying attention to your breasts and your uterus 
And when we get to... Well, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> if you're lucky, they are. That. Yeah, right? <laughs> maybe. Somebody's paying a little bit of attention right. to that, at least because you have, you know, a, a, a doctor visit or something. Mm-hmm. But that's about it. I feel like in the American culture, the kindest thing the average person thinks they can say to a postpartum mom is, oh, look, you already got your body back. And you're just like, can we not talk about my body, please? <laughs> you look great. It's can like, we I not, didn't ask. Can we? Yeah, I, the can we? can see. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, and then you feel like you have to explain. Like, well, I mean, yeah. I'm actually, no, no, like, can we not talk about my body, please? Mm-hmm. How about asking me? Oh, I've never had the problem of anyone telling me I got my body back. Oh, come <laughs> on. I mean, you know, maybe maybe you just weren't around the superficiality of it, yeah, though. Yeah, no, that, no. Like, I'm Hopefully you, somebody asked you how you feel. Instead, that would be so much better. Well, th- when I was, was pregnant, authentic. everyone's like, "Oh, you're all belly, you're all belly," and I would say to people, "What's the hardest area of your body to get back? Not your ankles, your belly." Like, <laughs> I would love so to have your that. ankles, <laughs> ankles like a sumo wrestler. I would love for my face to swell five sizes, up. like mm-hmm. you know. And it's just everyone is different, you know. It's just, and so even commenting on pregnant when you're pregnant, I it was a compliment. People thought they were being nice, and right. I just was like. First of all, I'm at work and I'm here to to do business. Mm-hmm. Can because every meeting would start. How are you? What's it? How? And so the first ten minutes of every meeting, I had to talk about yeah. that. And times twelve. And everyone, of course, everyone meant well. Of course, everyone was caring about me. But I need to get some shit done because yeah. I want to go home and go to sleep because I'm tired. So let's get this going. But it's it's before and after people are commenting. I had a phone call today for an hour right before I left the house to come here tonight and and do this roundtable. A local therapist referred one of her clients with postpartum depression to me for our life after birth support group. So we had this wonderful talk, this woman and I. She's six weeks out. I actually invited her to come. and it would be tough because her baby's only six weeks. But I said, if you just want to come and sit on the couch and listen to these women, you need to see that we get through this. This is always temporary. But one thing that came out was that she doesn't happen to have parents in the picture here. Her husband isn't really understanding the significance of what she's going through. And I said, make sure your therapist or I just talk with him and inform him a little bit and educate him a little bit so he can support you better. But the thing that came out was she hasn't told a soul about her suffering and she's returning to work in a month with all her friends there. She's talked with them multiple times. And I said, the burden you're putting on yourself to not tell them, for whose sake are you doing that? It, it might be for yours because you fear the judgment or the stigma that you think is going to come with this, or is it for theirs? But part of the reason we can feel so sideswiped by this experience is that the person before you didn't talk. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I felt the hardest thing for me was when I did speak openly about it because I was pretty comfortable once I recognized what was going on. I was pretty comfortable talking about it and speaking to friends and family. And the hardest part about it wasn't me saying it out loud and sort of admitting it um, or fessing up to it, if you will. Um, it was that specifically, again, generationally, we're going to go back there. I was getting a lot of responses from mothers that would tell me basically like mothers who've been mothers for a long time let's say and they would say oh you you just have the baby blues that's normal it'll pass and that may very well be yes it you know what it is normal that it happens and it will pass those things i do know definitively but it's not okay and it's not okay to write it off as 
just anything. It doesn't matter what you call it. It delegitimizes what you're feeling. It delegitimizes what you're feeling. It makes you feel wrong for sharing that you're going through it. It makes you embarrassed that you've now done that thing again as somebody who's telling you that they have this really horrible crippling anxiety. Now I have anxiety about the anxiety. Thank you very much. Thank you, because now I'm questioning whether or not what I'm saying is even real, in fact, or am I am I making this up? Like, I'm not a liar. Like, is what I'm feeling real? I don't know. Do I tell anybody else now? Do I stop telling them? I'm embarrassed. I don't – it's just like this horribly vicious cycle of unsolicited and, and, advice. And why does it feel so much worse for me if they just say it's – Yeah. Know, oh, and by the way, those, same, and those <laughs> same moms, those same women – were the same ones who would later tell me randomly like oh yeah I remember after my second standing in the middle of a supermarket and crying hysterically and I'm like oh really just the baby blues huh Mm -hmm. (laughs) right and maybe it was maybe that was just a moment but the point is is like it's a string of moments and it's this journey and it's okay I don't I don't know again if it's like a badge of honor like a pride that we that maybe they wore as a generation that these are like things that they went through and like they're warriors and no big deal because we all know that that's something people talk about a lot like this Today, everything is so tough for you. We all got through it again. We were all fine. Okay, I want your reactions to this. I was away on vacation with my mother in August. We were eating outdoors in a little cafe, and there was this very narrow little charming street and a nice sidewalk and some shops, Very a very narrow street where you could just see the sidewalk right across. When I met, it might have been like 15, 20 paces from us. And she and I were sitting there eating and enjoying our lunch, and we saw this attractive, nicely dressed guy strolling down the sidewalk right across from where we were he was holding had his hand in his pocket kind of dressed in preppy clothes holding a coffee in one hand and he just walked by and got to the corner and he turned and looked behind him and then half a block behind him was apparently his wife with a baby strapped on pushing a stroller with one hand stroller was empty shopping bags were in the stroller and there was a toddler who was pulling her other hand because the baby was strapped on, yanking at her and leaning. How they do that lean back thing because mm-hmm. they don't know. Mm-hmm. And he just stood at the corner holding his coffee with his other hand in the pocket, watching. <laughs> what are you feeling right now? I have so many but questions. I, <laughs> so did we. Can, can the stroller push him into the street? Yeah, the traffic. <laughs> but she needs to say help me get your ass over here and take the toddler or maybe they were in a fight and he said i told you not to go shopping (laughs) i feel i feel like she has told him this is not the first time this is like the 82nd time that day that she has been like hey i need help these are the moments Mm -hmm. when i don't want to tell you because i shouldn't have to tell you correct because you should know that you've got a family and that you're not alone and that we're back here because clearly this stuff ain't moving itself. Mm-hmm. So why do I have to even tell you? Because that would that would actually bother me. And then I would tell him, and then he would say like, "Oh, come on, you're you're ruining a great family moment. We're on vacation, and the kids can hear you." I, I'm thinking he's going. I go to work every day. I commute to the city, and I get up at five, and this is my vacation. <laughs> and you know, I'm gonna relax and chill because I go to work every day. And mm-hmm. she's going. Oh. Where's my vacation? You go to work Mm -hmm. every day? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do I do? That links to, I think, partners not understanding what the job is Mm -hmm. when you're home. And I don't want to say, like, job, like it's something we don't want. Of course, I I love being with my child, love her to death, but it is a job. And it's one without a lunch break, without a prep, without um, a specific wake-up time to catch a train. 
Or a paycheck. Or a paycheck. Or right. a reward or a it's, bonus or a promotion. It's all day. It's it's manual labor, physical labor all day long. And that's what I would like, you know, my husband to understand sometimes. I'm not just watching TV and watching Netflix and letting her play on the floor. That's not what's going on. Can we just talk for one second, if we have the time, about how that whole scenario, that woman, that man, that family, that unit, how that plays into the relationship behind closed doors and how that drives or maybe doesn't drive the intimacy factor as Mm -hmm. well because that is such a huge that is such a huge part of it right and it's I found it hard to convince my husband of the the direct correlation Mm -hmm. between my want to be intimate with you when you're not when you're not recognizing it's not just the action but recognizing the action needs to be taken if and only they would wisen up. Oh my <laughs> god. They would have it so much better. Right? I mean, really. And I try to explain that to him. Like on the days and like we've like run these mini experiments where I'm like, listen, on the days when you like just participate and you're like in it, really in it, not reactive, proactive, and everything gets done and the kids are happy and I'm happy and we're all in bed and everybody's whatever. You know you're getting lucky. Like that's happening because I'm rested and I'm happy. And I, but and more importantly, I feel connect exactly. I feel connected because I feel understood and I feel that my needs have been met. And now I can meet your needs, whatever they are, babe. Like that's that's how this all goes. Mm-hmm. And yet still, it's like the reminding needs to happen quite often. Often enough that that is so frustrating because how do we find our way back? when it feels like you're often trekking up a mountain. And I'm trying because I want to get up that mountain for you because I do love you, but damn, you're making it hard. But let's like bring back something we we asked for earlier, right? We don't have those role models. They don't have those role models in a lot of cases either. Mm -hmm. And in the prepping for a baby, when do the guys get together and talk about how they're prepping for a baby? That doesn't happen. And I think that going back to just the husbands or the, the men needing someone to ask them questions to or just talking about having a baby I I think unfortunately it's still very gender specific your role and what advice someone would give you or what you would talk about oh so the baby's coming how long are you going to take like the the advice or the conversations are still very like specific to dad versus mom and not like what are you all doing together? Yeah. How are you doing this? It's not I, there yet. I got in a, I was in not a great mom's group um, with my first, and it, it turned into just complaining about husbands. Mm. And I remember, um, you know, a couple of the things where people would just say, well, my husband didn't think about this, and my husband didn't do that, and my husband, and I was just saying, thinking, sitting there going, I wouldn't think of that either. Like, if I'm at work all day, I'm not, I'm working. I'm not thinking about all the things that I that I could do or I'm not thinking it so that's for me when the moment when I I it clicked for me that I need to advocate for myself because he has a job and he and and he's got things and and he's not just gonna guess he's not a mind mm-hmm. reader right mm-hmm. he's <laughs> and every woman wants different things yes like we talked like about a mind earlier reader. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a mind reader so Imagine that you're speaking to a pregnant woman. She's really excited to be having a baby. She's in a good relationship, and you really feel you can be completely authentic with her. What's the best thing you can possibly tell that woman? Create your support system. You will need it. Create it now because once that baby comes, the time and energy that you need to put into creating that system will all be on the baby. 
that system will help you to focus on the baby. But yeah, create that support system before the baby comes. I don't think anyone assumes they're going to have any kind of depression or anxiety. I think that's not something we think about. It's something we, even before I had a baby, I would look at other moms who maybe like didn't have their shit together and mm -hmm. I would be like, oh, that's not going to be me. And you cannot assume that that's not going to be you. And it might not be. You might be completely fine, but prepare as if it's not going to be fine. What would that preparation look like? Um, support, help at home, someone to talk to, maybe a doula. Um, I know that that's not something I, again, would have considered, but now being having gone through this, I absolutely am going to have a postpartum doula for my second child um, when that happens. Um, I guess that's it. I mean, I can't really think of anything else. Your resources. Do your, yeah. do your work to have your resources. Know who you can call. Know who you can count on. Mm -hmm. Support system. Same thing. Okay, what if that woman's husband approached you, like you're at a party, you're all mingling, you talked with her, and you have a heart-to-heart, -heart, and he says, but just be real with me. What advice do you have for me as her husband? What's the best way I can support her? What would you tell him? Ask her. I would say ask. I would say to the advocacy topic we just brought up, she may not think of the fact that she has to tell you what she needs, so be proactive and ask every step of the way. And don't assume that what she told you she needed yesterday is what she needs today. Don't assume that if she told you she needed it this morning that she needs it tonight. Just keep asking and know that you will get back to that place, but you have to participate to get back there. You have to be an equal partner in that and just support her because this is so much more challenging than you can ever fathom and also get support for yourself everything that you just said and set an alarm on your phone to ask her that question of what she needs. I don't care if you have to come home every day and if you forget, that's why there's an alarm. That's why we have iPhones, set an alarm. What do you need the minute you walk in the door? Do you need something? Yeah, it, it's not about you. That doesn't mean you don't matter. Um, you arguably matter more because your role is to take what she's, everything she's been doing for the family and you're gonna take a bigger piece of that and do it and don't complain. And um, and if you need to complain, go find your dudes and go drink some beers and complain with them. But just just know it's just not about you right now. And that's okay and it doesn't mean it won't be about, about you another time. What I always tell couples is, especially if I'm talking to the, the dad, prepare for your needs to really not be met for quite a while and expect that and keep in mind that hers are going to be virtually down to zero so yours might be diminished by like I don't know 40 60 percent hers will be almost down to zero where she has to put conscious thought and effort to even taking a shower to even feeding herself it's the, the first thing we ask anyone in the first session of the group is have you eaten today did you remember to feed yourself so I would love for that partner to understand that even though your needs aren't met, hers are met even less, and be really gentle with yourselves. Because yes. what are we asking of this couple, each of whom don't have their needs met? And you will get through this together. This will get easier. This is very possibly the hardest chapter of your whole marriage and the whole story here. So be gentle with yourselves, be gentle with each other. You're each dealing with people who aren't having their needs met. And what keeps coming to my mind is just the thought of, I just would want to say to him, honor her. 
honor this experience that she's going through and look at her as the amazing, incredible woman who is able to carry this child, birth this child, and respect that and honor that. And it, by thinking that way, it will be so much easier for you to understand why your needs are going to go unmet right now. Don't be resentful of her attention to the baby. Honor this period of time because it is the most beautiful time in her life. If you enjoyed our podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and share a favorite episode or two. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Down to Birth Show or contact us and review show notes at downtobirthshow.com. Please remember this information is made available to you for educational and informational purposes only. It is in no way a substitute for medical advice. For our full disclaimer, visit downtobirthshow.com slash disclaimer. Thanks for tuning in, and as always, hear everyone and listen to yourself. My husband and I tell this story that I get a little bit crazy because math is what I do. And at one point I was telling my husband a story and I said, 17 plus three, 17 plus three. <laughs> and he's like, 21? Yes, 21, blah, blah, blah. And I kept on with the story, but wait, even wait, me. Wait. 17 plus three is 20. No, okay. Well, it was four. It's I don't know. Happened. I'm still not sleeping. But it was just, it was one of those things where I just, I was like, my brain is broken. I can't.